for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Top Hill Recording. Hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 46. What's up, Neil? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Got a guest here tonight with us, Nick Dittmeyer. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me. And while we're talking to Nick, Neil, you brought us down some bourbon, man. Tell us what we're I having. Did. We got some 1792 small batch. Yesterday was my sister's birthday. So that is her favorite bourbon. So in honor, I'm drinking it. That's one her. of your favorite too, isn't it? I don't know about favorite. I guess we'll find out after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll pour a little and cheers, Neil. Cheers, Nick. Right on. Cheers, man. Seventeen ninety two never disappoints. Oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, Nick, why don't you start out? Go back and tell us a little bit about your childhood memories and music. You know, where, where you experienced music early in life and when you realized it was going to be an important part of your life. Yeah. Like when we would have performances at school and stuff, I, I always got pretty pumped about that, you know, to see live musicians and to see live music. My grandma, she is still alive and she's, uh, she was a music teacher and, uh, she, you know, kind of, taught me piano and guitar and uh then as i got better to you know work on the music theory aspects of that and to build that part of of me as a musician um which was, has been beneficial so uh you know i liked when i got to see music and i liked you know as a kid a lot of muppet stuff and the music that was in all of those kind of movies and then like stuff that was in cartoons and Things like that. And then as I got older, you know, I started experimenting more into different genres of music and learning different genres of music. And uh, yeah, so we're uh, we're kind of here today with it. Were you ever in your grandma's class? <laughs> well, it was a Catholic. No, I wasn't because uh, uh, she was a teacher over in Louisville. I grew up in Indiana. She was teaching at Catholic schools and, and private schools and stuff like that. So when did you first pick up a guitar? Well, the summer between my sixth and seventh grade year. So that's when I first started learning chords and, and wanted to do it. And, and the reason that I wanted to learn how to 
play guitar was so I could write song, you know, or to, to be in a band and, and to write songs. We'd moved in this house, this newer house, and and the guy across the street from me told me that he was in a band with the kids that lived in the house before we lived there. And I was like, oh, well, fuck, you know, like I need to like learn, I, you know, this is like my chance. This is my opportunity to like be in a band. Well, it turns out he he was just lying and it like he never so I like got a guitar and ordered some chords and stuff and went back to him and was like, Yeah, you know, like now we can jam. And then I kind of made you know, made sense of it that like he was kind of lying about the whole thing. But I, I learned some chords. <laughs> so you started writing songs at the same time you were learning the guitar? That that seems uh you know, I don't think that's quite the usual path. Well, yeah, I needed something to like I needed like a like an instrument to play to like these lyrics like I had. So, and guitar is just the, you know, the easiest thing to pick up to, to get there, you know, and so that's how we got guitar. So when did you first start getting with some organized bands and, uh, you know, practicing as a unit and learning songs pretty, and that sort of thing? after that, I was, I was trying to like enlist people from my school or, you know, people from the music store that I would meet, you know, maybe playing before lessons or see around that try to, you know, network with people and, and just get together and, and do something and, or people like from my chorus class or something like that at school, I tried to move fast. So like within a year, I was still like six months a year. I was like trying to get people together to do this. Like we didn't like, obviously like make a record, or but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so did you start almost immediately writing and doing your own thing or did you do the cover band thing for a while before you kind of jumped into writing no uh the the thing that really gripped me too was at the time there were so i'm this would have been like in the late 90s early 2000s so there were a lot of all ages places that had popped up so that's kind of what, you know, and I, I, there was a band at school and there were a few of these bands and they were playing these venues and, you know, they would hand out flyers, uh, at school or, you know, they, a few of them had actually like made set either like seven inches or CDs or cassettes, I guess still, they still made those, but like, so that's where I, I, my in, entrance into it. Cause like <laughs> the first time, I mean, like, into my tw- well into my 20s man like when i was like paid like a guarantee to play somewhere like i didn't know what i was doing and like <laughs> like i had no experience playing in bars so like we were it was like a halloween gig and i was probably like 23 22 and we were paid to play two sets well i never even like went and saw bands playing bars or anything like that so like we just did our set of like 10 to 12 songs and then like took a break and then did those the set again. Like I thought that's what you did. Like, <laughs> like people would see the show and like that was the band. And if they wanted to hang out, if they wanted to leave, they could leave. And then more I thought ignorantly, like more people would Two come shows. in the bar, you know, over the course of the night or something like that. And so yeah, that's what I thought you were supposed to do. It makes sense, man. It's kind of like when uh, you go to a comedy club and there's a seven o'clock show and a nine o'clock show. Especially so, if you right. don't know. So I have to ask, was that with Slithering Beast? Yes. Yeah. You probably haven't talked about Slithering Beast for a long time, but, you know, uh, Brent West is one of our best friends. (laughs) Okay. We heard heard about Slithering Beast from Brent and uh, (laughs) kind of heard about uh, 
Uh, he told us a story about uh, uh, there was a bad storm. You guys were out in a bad storm and came back to a hotel and like some met shady a, hotel in really Paducah or something. Eccentric old man, and uh, I think I think Brendan ended up writing a song about it. Does that ring any bells? Oh, I've not I've not heard that. I'll have to ask him. About oh it. Yeah, man, yeah, yeah. I wish I could remember the name of the song. I can't remember that name. Anyway, It'd be nice to have it ready to play and let uh <laughs> let Nick hear it. <laughs> You have any good Brent West stories from Slithering Beast days? Yeah, that's it. He's probably listening right now, so this should be interesting. Uh, nothing incriminating or anything like that, you know. Uh, He's pretty we, like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was no, no, nothing, nothing crazy. I can, I can really think of, but uh, he's a great guy. Yes, he is. So, so if he's listening, shout out to uh, to Brent tonight, you know. But. uh, yeah, like, well, during that, I mean, like, I didn't really start touring, touring, like, a whole, whole lot until a little bit after Slithering Beast. And then that's when I, you know, kind of decided to go, like, full throttle with everything and and, and put myself out there. And, man, you do go full throttle, it looks like, when, uh, you know, before before we had all this shut down and, you know, looking back at your, your touring, you stayed pretty busy. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, man, I, I, as as messed up as everything has been, it's been nice to have a break from that. Mm. That, to be honest with you, you know, and I, I feel kind of like when it's all said and done, you know, we'll, you know, obviously lose a year, and that's fine. You know, maybe I kind of look at it like the Kevin Durant injury or something like that. You know, <laughs> I could get a year off, uh, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so we're kind of plotting. Uh, what that return is going to look like and when that's going to be, you know, we have kind of a few uh, projections on, on, and you know, kind of a few scenarios of like what that will look like. Oh, so it looks like you already have some dates set in Europe for 2021. Is that right? Yeah, we're, uh, we were supposed to be there in August and, and uh, obviously there was no way that that was, that was going to happen. So yeah, I just mean, got postponed here. Are you guys? You guys are probably as much as anybody are on the end of this thing, uh, rapidly approaching. Uh, hopefully, so. I mean, do you think it'll be in the next few? I mean, just this is an absolute what if or guess mm-hmm. the future. But what do you think it looks like? And do you think it looks maybe in the next three or four months you'll be playing again? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think you'll start seeing p- stuff coming back uh, in late March, early April. Is what is what I would assume, but that's kind of where we're planning it. And, and, uh, and then if it kind of gets pushed back further from there, we'll, we'll be able to kind of deal with it. And, and, and the good thing, I, I think a lot of venues, you know, are going to be equipped to be a little bit more flexible as far as if they decide to do stuff outside or if they decide to do stuff, you know, or at a, uh, a, a lower capacity, you know, when they come back and start doing it or, or whatever, but, you know, and I really fear, places that could close between then and now as well uh, or that, or that have closed. And there are some places that uh, we've like, we like to play that have closed. And then there are other places where you're like, man, I really hope that they can uh, hold on uh, until it's time to come back. Yeah. Especially if they've held on this long, man, it's just like, come on, just a little bit more past some, some small business or venue loan uh, Mm -hmm. government assistance of some sort, just to keep them, you probably had uh, venues that you're playing at that or that were scheduled last year that ha- got canceled that probably are going to have to close at this point. Yeah, yeah, there were some. There was one in Saint near Saint Louis. I know for sure there was a great room. You know, and, and obviously people can. You know, their businesses and and what they do, yeah. they 
can decide to uh, maybe they don't want to, you know, may, maybe they just don't see themselves doing it in the future or whatever, or they were getting close to retiring and they wouldn't be ready for a rebuild or something, or, you know, this situation like headliners where they are actively trying to sell the, mm-hmm. the venue and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, hopefully a lot of these places can hang, hang on. Um, but uh, you know, obviously like the service industry and hospitality and entertainment has been, uh, been hit really hard. Oh yeah. So tell us a, bit, a little bit about your, uh, your touring schedule. Like how many, uh, do you have any count on how often you're playing in a year? Cause I know you guys are doing a um, lot of live shows. It, it could be, you know, 150 to yeah. 200. I mean, I, I think 150 is like the sweet spot where we were with it. Gosh, you know, I mean, I, and I can see a scenario where when it's time to go back, like it just, it's, it's really crazy, yeah. you know, and, and people have been, you know, boxed in, in their houses and they, you know, and it's just going to be like a crazy summer and fall and, and beyond. Okay. Hopefully. I mean, that's a best case scenario you could look at. Um, uh, this year, my priority is like not putting a record out in 2021 and uh, and just kind of rebuilding back our live stuff. Yeah, we've, we've talked about that before, how there's going to be a bounce back that's ridiculous on mm-hmm. live entertainment and music. And uh, I think it's going to be insane. I think when you guys do get together and play again. Hopefully soon. Oh, yeah, the sooner the, would be... Me- amazing but i think it's going to just be insane i think people are clamoring to get into a space to be entertained man yeah (laughs) so i man i'd like to go back and just kind of start about you with your songwriting when you kind of chose the guitar and went all right this is kind of the lane i'm going with to help get these because I want to write songs. What did that look like? How, you know, everybody's kind of laughs at their, you know, don't judge me on my first song or <laughs> my first yeah. poem or whatever. What did, what, what did it look like when you decided to start doing that? Oh, they were not good, uh, <laughs> obviously. And uh, they had a lot of profanity, like for a 13-year-old. Like, <laughs> <a lot> of, <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, some of it was just trying to, like, entertain my friends and stuff like that. Uh <laughs> But I don't think there, there's no shame in writing bad songs and uh, everybody has to do it. And, mm-hmm. and people are still going to do it, you know, after you write good songs. Gosh, uh, I mean, it took me at least 10 years, I think, to write any good songs from when I started. Uh, do you think you, you know, did you write a lot? Yeah. Yeah. A whole lot. Yeah. I mean, like that, that was something I was really into to doing and, and, you know, I wanted to do you know, from a pretty early age is what I was, it's what I was going after. Um, but even now, I mean, I, I try to work myself out as much as I can every day, you know, even just if it's just for a couple minutes here and there, you know, just trying to, uh, do something, maybe if you get a line or two or, you know, you don't get anything and you move on and, and that's just the way it is. Um, but you know, not being too, too attached to, you know, let, let stuff develop is kind of the way I look at a lot of it. Do you dedicate the time to do that? Like, do you make yourself sit in a certain spot and go, all right, I'm going to give myself schedule time? Yeah, five minutes, even if there's nothing or, you know, an hour to sit here and look at this paper. Yeah, yeah. And I usually do a lot of it early in the day because uh, my wife wakes up later than me. And mm-hmm. so, you know, anywhere from like eight o'clock to 10 o'clock or like I've got my piano downstairs, too. And so I've been do. I actually been playing a lot of piano in the in the shutdown and uh 
And then from there, I'll kind of my drummer, Josh, and we'll kind of get together and hammer stuff out and then just have some rough, uh, you know, just like phone demos, <laughs> stuff down in the basement. And, um, you know, and then kind of, uh, you know, make them uh, make the cut from there. So Outside of just writing a lot, which it sounds like you were doing, what were some of the things you'd do to try to improve and get get better as a songwriter? Um, I still really like going out and, uh, seeing people play music and, and enjoy like watching people play. So like if I'm not touring and I have like a night off from home, I, I try to, you know, I know a friend's playing out somewhere or something. I'll go try to catch that. That kind of goes back into where when I was younger, I just tried to see like every band play, you know, anytime I could see bands play. And I don't know if you guys remember this space. It was called the Brick House on Bardstown Road. I do remember the Brick House. It became the Buffalo Wild Wings. Yep. Okay. I thought it was right down there, but like Baxter. And by the Taco Bell there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so, but there were a few up and down Bardstown Road, and there were a few in Southern Indiana. Um, so like a lot of those places were having, you know, band, you know, I'm talking like, you know, bands playing in front of like fucking, you know, like 10 people, you know, not like huge shows every night or anything, but like, you know, you could realistically go see bands play and, I just kind of went out and like, you know, maybe I would be like the only guy at the show and there would be like some out of town band or something. And, you know, I would just get to talking about like what their tour was like or, you know, what they were up to. And, and just, I mean, that's really always the best way just to kind of go be a part of it, you know, let it be like your lifestyle. And then if it, anything else kind of comes of it, then it, then, you know, it comes of it. In 2013 and 2014, you put out two solo EPs. And then you started, and then you connected with the Sawdusters. Is that right? Well, so I didn't have an and the for my band. So we were just playing under the name Nick Dittmeyer Band for like a while. And it was our old bass player's dad, who's like kind of a, a funny, like eccentric dude uh, who makes this art with skulls and stuff like that. And he would, he was always like coming up with band names and he, he threw that one at us. And we, we were like, okay, yeah, like we can, this is fine we just we kind of went with that one so those guys were backing you on the solo stuff too or yeah so they weren't a band before they were my backing band basically they were my backing band and then we like named them okay <laughs> so you know what i'm saying like they yeah. uh, like to have an and the you know okay. so that's the way that that worked and then those guys cycled out you know i kept the and the and it's good because i do solo shows and like you know uh some duo shows and stuff like that too so it was, it's a good, uh, like marker, you know, for people not maybe sure, like what the setup could be, you know, maybe they prefer like a listening room show, or maybe they prefer like a more rocked out full band show. Um, so that kind of, you know, for marketing purposes, uh, what was, was stuck there, you know? So what do you prefer as a, as a performer? Do you like the small rooms? Uh, well, actually we got asked this the other day, we did an interview and, uh, there's they're different experiences. I mean, obviously I have way more experience in playing small rooms. Um, I think everybody probably does, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but you know, uh, it's, they're two different animals, like with the, you know, really big, you know, headliners or Manchester music hall size venues versus, uh, you know, maybe a smaller room, uh, in town or, or, you know, anywhere else really. But I, I just look at them as two, you know, kind of getting your head into in, in a different space for both of those things. So how about Europe versus North America? 
Um, it's different too. Uh, it, it's different in a lot of ways. Like for example, some of my songs can be kind of wordy and songwriting lyrically and things like that. You don't really think about references in your songs that might be like that feel very broad, but might be very specific in the, in the way of, um, like for instance, they're on the metric system there. So if you say like something miles or like certain references, they just, especially like that can be construed as slang. Don't, don't go over all the time as well. So there's disadvantages. Uh, the first time we ever toured in Europe, I uh, I tried to speak some Dutch because most of our shows were in Holland. And I think it was like the second or third show. And I was like saying a few things in Dutch on stage. And this guy after the show was like, just don't. He was like, don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> Please like, don't. don't do that. <laughs> yeah, he was like, don't. He was like, don't. Like, they, we, they understand English good enough as long as they speak slowly enough. Don't talk too fast. Yeah. So it it's it's different, man. I mean, it's like like everybody over there doesn't love every American band or or every American show or something. You know, but but they they have a better attention span over there in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um the diff, you know, the maybe a positive that like touring in the states that uh maybe touring Europe is like, you know, if you play around the United States, I mean, the music that we play, this is really the area or the, you know, the, the, the places that it came from, you know, so you're not like an oddity. It's part of the fabric of those places, you yeah. know, like if you go to, you know, wherever that is, I mean, every, every part of the United States has its own unique music culture and, and generating music. So uh, that's kind of the difference, like playing where it's generated and playing where less of it's generated, but there, there may be more of a, an attention span for it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Brad was talking about big venues versus small venues, and it kind of reminded me of I listened to uh, a live from a barbershop in Southern Indiana today, mm-hmm. which 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 I loved. I mean, it was killer. Which I love. Anytime you know you can break it down to an acoustic and a and a vocal, and and number one, you fill up that much space uh, and, and play it and sing it so well. Uh, but you can really break down songwriting and and get a, uh, for me sometimes anyway a better it it strips away all the 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 bullshit and you really get down to what the song is and it just focuses on the, your ability to write a song and and paint a picture is phenomenal i mean it's it Thanks. it well it just does a lot of work for the person that's listening to it it takes away a lot of the well let me think about that you, you really put hammer at home um what brought that to a point where you knew how to just paint a picture like that? Was it something that you have wanted to do? Do you write from a perspective that you you want to tell a story every time? Or, or is there any method to the madness when it comes to constructing a visual with your songs? I guess to try to, uh, I mean, you got to, in a sense, kind of, have a story that's not so crazy that you can fit into some verses, you know, <laughs> but not something so generic and down the middle to the point where anybody could write something like that, you know, to have a few deep, cause I, you know, think about like stories or movies you like in like, uh, this is like an example of it. Like me and my friend were watching, uh, the movie blue chips the other day with Nick oh, Nolte. Yeah. <laughs> and like the story is since like the story of blue chips is like this moralistic, 
you know, fork in the road where this guy is at and like what he does to do. So it's like a story like that's as old as like storytelling itself, essentially like a moral dilemma, but it's a matter of like where the touches are on that story that makes it unique. You know, thing about writing and, and like, as you are as an individual or, or those things that like, I don't know how that stuff comes off really to people. You know, it might be good. It might not be good. I don't know. You know, there are probably people that don't like it. Probably people do like it, but like, that's like the best I could do. You know, like that's mm. the, you know, that's like the, that's just what I came up with, you know? Hmm. Seems like you have an ability to put in details in a situation that the listener can relate to, you know, and it kind of, kind of helps pull you into that experience. But why don't we go ahead and play one from, uh, Alive from a barber shop in Southern Indiana. I've got I've got Centralia. Yeah, and then you got to tell us the story, man, because yeah. it's a great. Uh, yeah, it's great. I'm going to tell some stories tonight. Mainly, they're all cautionary tales for the most part for adults or people thinking about becoming adults. This first cautionary tale is about financing a van with 180,000 miles on it on a five-year payment because of credit union. You know. I'm just financially at the point, well, it's kind of on them now, you know, it's their, it's their problem. That's fine. Like, why did they do that? This song's about a van. It's in a, don't worry about the van though, man. It's a, it's a good place right now. It's in a van graveyard in Scott County, Indiana, just up the road. Hanging out with other vans. Didn't, couldn't pull their weight anymore. This song's called Centralia. Centralia, you broke my heart. I put the keys in the ignition, but the engine don't stop. Centralia, you said my name. I take a good look in the mirror and I see the only one to blame. Way down in southern Illinois There ain't nothing but corn and soy And after 300,000 miles old You got sick of this lifestyle Centralia, you broke my heart I put the keys in the ignition but the Centralia, you said my name Take a good look in the mirror and I see the only one to blame I started walking and I stuck out my thumbs My boots hit the pavement, bleached by the sun And the record came Soldier for scrap, and I remembered that I left my sunglasses on the dash. Centralia, you broke my heart. And I put the keys in the ignition, but the engine don't start. Centralia, you snared my name. 
take a good look in the mirror and I see the only one to blame. And on the road, in your rearview mirror, it's crashed. Oh, that's when you know there ain't no looking back. Is now. Yeah. Yeah, man. Phenomenal playing, too, man. I love your guitar playing. Oh, thanks, man. So tell us about Centralia. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, it's not a real story, per se. When it was written, I didn't have a broken down van, but if I got there. And, <laughs> uh, so um, it really is. It, it's on a, uh, my father-in-law's property in Scott County, Indiana right now. It blew up. That, that van did. But Centralia was a, a city in Southern Illinois that we had played. And we were, I was at my house and I was just like humming that melody. Cause we had like this, you know, it was a duo show with me and a guitar player coming up that we had. And that's where it came from. Well, we really did play in Centralia, but the story is kind of pieced together from like a couple different stories for the, you know, for the most part. That's how you do it, man. That's how you do. It. So, what's going on in Nick's head when he's writing songs? Do you see, do you see visuals? Do you see like a movie as songs develop, or do you hear music melodies, or is it different at different times, or what's it look like? Well, I mean, uh, I, I used to be kind of more like uh, writing wise, wanting to get things done like pretty fast, and, and feeling like if I couldn't sit down and kind of get the outline or anchor things down that it probably wasn't going to happen. I, I'm, I'm more like patient with that stuff now than, than I was, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I want a few things to click together, you know, I mean, I think, I think the choruses are like a hook, you know, obviously are the most, it's the most important part. And um, I had a friend and he told me like when I was in my late teens that uh, that's like, I can't remember who told him this about songwriting, but like, you know, like envision that like you're writing a song about pizza, you know, and so like the choruses are like we like pizza or we hate pizza or we ordered pizza or whatever the fuck. And then like the uh, the verses, they're going to be like your like what kind of toppings we like or why did we order pizza or where are we ordering pizza, whatever those details are. And then your bridge or your pre-court like those are, you know, would link anything else or tie up any kind of loose ends. But like that's kind of like your big picture of like what hmm. you're kind of doing. And there's like so many songs that you can like real, that really uh, like super, you know, demonstrate that, you know, that uh, I mean, obviously like pretty much all, I mean, all, you know, really, really solid ones too, I guess. 
That's a killer analogy, yeah. man. <laughs> I yeah. love that. And I've never heard anything <laughs> like that. But that's I awesome. Heard. Yeah, that's killer. When you were um, planning or, or writing or or producing the 2019 Companion and Alive from uh, Barbershop in Southern Indiana, were you always, did it start out as, as an idea to have a studio side A and a live side B? Uh, no, because, uh, companion, companion came out at the end of, uh, 2019 and it was like, cause we put out all damn day at the end of 2018. And right when I, we put it out, the, the, uh, producer engineer was like, Hey, you know, if you want to come back up and we can start working on some stuff. So we did. And I want, and that didn't have a vinyl release or anything like that. So then once the pandemic happened, the, I don't remember exactly how I got a hold of it, but uh, I was I didn't record the set with the plan of it coming out or anything like that. Once I heard it, I was like, hey, I was like, I don't hate this. I was like, it's pretty good. And uh, I was like, and so we would have like a side A and a side B um, to, to go from there. So that's kind of because I was combing through some live stuff that we had had. Um, like, I think I just had CDs of, of stuff people had burned, like from, you know, and then the engineer producer from all damn day and companion, I sent that to him and, and he could, do, he doctored it. Uh, you know, he like remixed it and mastered it and everything. And then that's, that's where that came out of. I don't think like if I, because I, I, I did the live set with the, with the intention with, without the intention of anything. And I don't know if like some of the stuff that I liked about it could have happened if I would have had that in my head at the time as mm-hmm. it was happening. Oh yeah, where did you record? Uh, Companion and All Day of Day. They were done in a studio in Indy called the Arc Barn, and uh, that's since been moved to Bloomington. And then um, the live set was done in Madison, Indiana, and it's actually in a barber shop. The she was doing it was a, a friend of ours, Jane Vonderheed, and she was doing a show a month. And I think they were let like 25 people in or something like that, you know. So it actually was in a barbershop. Yeah, 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 it really was. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so it was, yeah, so like, yeah, no one was getting their haircut in there at the time <laughs> we were uh, uh, recording it. So, yeah, but they, she was doing up, up until, uh, the you know, obviously the pandemic shut everything down. She was doing one a month, kind of curating this, this, uh, uh, this series. Oh, yeah, that was, that'd be awesome. Switching gears here, and I, I was just thinking, and you mentioned the pandemic, and I'm just wondering how many songs you've written in 2020. <laughs> Not that many, man. Like to, to be honest, because there's like kind of a psychology to uh, like doing things without a deadline that just kills it, you know. <laughs> so, like less than 20, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm trying, but like not like something crazy because. I mean, I've, I've been relatively like unmotivated through a lot of this, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm starting to kind of kick myself back into gear, um, as, as far as doing, doing stuff. But yeah, for me, it was just really, you know, hard to, uh, to, to like discipline myself to do anything without a deadline. I would definitely say I was like less productive than, than I normally would have been. So Centra, you came from a life from a barbershop in Southern Indiana, like we said, how about we take a listen to Wildcat Creek from Companion? You want to set that song up for us? Uh, yeah, I wrote this song uh, 
kind of based on two things. I wrote it when I was on a like a tour, a little mini tour uh, through the Midwest with my guitar player JP a couple years ago. And Wildcat Creek is actually it's it's actually a creek in Northwest Indiana. You pass over it on sixty five. And like, that's kind of where the title came from. But uh, the story kind of, there was a book called The Boss Men and it's based on like Bill Monroe. There's a Bill Monroe part. There's a Muddy Waters. Maybe it's just Bill Monroe or Muddy Waters. It's called The Boss Men and uh, it's kind of loosely about Bill Monroe's early life. Okay. Wildcat Creek. Recording sounds really nice too. Oh yeah, oh, thanks. Man. Yeah, they killed it. Was that the Sawdusters or was it the Sawdusters Plus? Well, uh, the guys that play in the touring band aren't always on the records. Uh, so on that, my longtime bass player Bob played on that, but the drummer. Uh, there were two producer engineers, and he, one was the drummer, and he dr- uh, played drums, and then the other one played mandolin on it, on that one. So I was playing all the guitars and singing, it, not the backups, but uh, I think it was just the four of us on that. So we, I mean, we weren't like all in the same room when we started, and and so we kind of did it and, and piecemeal in that way. So our listeners that want to get closer to you guys and, and follow you a little more closely, where do they go to do that? Yeah, we're uh, on Spotify, uh, Facebooks, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff, uh, or nickdittmeyer.com. Uh, we'll link you to all of that stuff. Um, but anywhere you search for us, you'll we, we'll we'll turn up on on your searches. Awesome. Man. We really uh, appreciate you talking with us tonight, and uh, all right. we're going to go out with leaving Terre Haute. Uh, so I don't know if any of the listeners here have ever been there before, but (laughs) it is a, uh, town in Indiana, but, uh, there's a few things there. There's like the, uh, federal correctional prison, uh, that's like pretty infamous there. And then there's Indiana state universities there. And then there's a couple other, there's like some factories and weird stuff. And, uh, I had a drummer who was from near Terre Haute and he, one of, the things he said when he first started playing in the band that he did not want us to play in Terre Haute. He just didn't want to go there. And I was like, all right, man, like, I don't care. So, uh, we were driving from 
St. Louis to Bloomington one night, like in the dead night. Everybody was asleep but me. I was driving, and uh, I kind of wrote this song in my head. And this became uh, Leaving Terre Haute. Yeah, all right. (laughs) All right, we'll go out with Terre Haute. Thanks again, Nick, man. It's been great. All right, thank you so much for having me, guys. But I won't be in the stands Be checking my oil pressure And loading up the van They paved this road last summer Feeds right into 44 And it's flies that reputation That this town works so hard for I'm leaving Escape her daddy's farm Now she works as a bartender Down at Bohannon's East Paying back student loans She never should have received She's leaving Listens in the sun. Narco terrorist awaits a sentence. The kids move into Rose Home. My dad worked at the prison when they killed Timothy McVeigh. His lawyer picked up his ashes, threw him in the trunk, and he drove away.